Welcome to the Crossroads Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message that we hope will inspire, encourage, and challenge you to grow closer to God. So sit back, prepare your heart, and see where God can take you. There was a very wealthy oil tycoon that decided he would move to Lafayette. Much of his business was here, so he decided to move here. He's from Texas. So he bought this big spread, mansion, beautiful grounds, and he invited all of his employees as well as all the different businesses across the area that worked with him to bring their employees, and and they all gathered at his new place for this big shindig. Boudreaux was there with his wife, Clotilde, Thibodeau and his wife. They were all there, and the guy was showing them around the grounds, and it was just beautiful, just immaculate. And uh, they get to uh, a little man-made pond that this guy has had dug, and he introduced them to his collection of alligators. He's collected alligators from all over uh, South Louisiana. Biggest alligators you've ever seen in your life. They're there in that pond. And then this guy, this wealthy oil tycoon, he's a little eccentric, and he says, you know, I hear you Cajuns are real brave. I hear that you're real bold. And he said, here's what I want to do. He said, I'll give the man that is willing to jump in this pond and swim across this pond with all these alligators, I'll give them $10,000 right here on the spot. I mean, before you knew it, splash, Boudreaux's in the pond. He's swimming with all of his might and barely escapes with his life. Man comes face to face with about 11 big alligators, pulls himself up on the bank of of the pond on the other side. Everybody applauds later that evening. uh, The... uh, the, the oil tycoon is kind of greeting his guest. He's got a microphone, and he calls Boudreaux up on the stage and presents him a check for $10,000. And he says, Mr. Boudreaux, he said, I tell you what, you've proved it once and for all. Cajun people are bold. They're brave. And he said, man, I just want to congratulate you. Here's your check for $10,000. Do you have anything to say? Boudreaux took the mic. And he said, I appreciate the check, but I want everybody to know behind every successful man is a wife willing to push him. Hey, how many know that Clotilde, she wanted that $10,000, man. Last week, we started talking to you about boldness. We started talking to you about where courage lives. And I want to kind of wrap up that thought with you today as we continue this series, The Home of the Brave. So many of us on Monday celebrated Independence Day, the 4th of July. Uh, many of you sang, you know, the national anthem, Star Spangled Banner. Of course, it contains that phrase in the song, the land of the free and the home of the brave. And I want to talk to you about courage today. Uh, In fact, what I want to really, really focus on with you today is the fact that we are entering an era of Christianity that the Bible says will be marked with either boldness or coldness. And and that's what I really want to kind of unpack with you today, that idea that we are entering an era. Real quick, let me just kind of test the water here. How many of you recognize We're in a different time than we've ever been. I mean, things around us are changing so rapidly. And again, if there's not an awareness, there's not a consciousness spiritually for you that we are we are in perilous times. We are in the last of the last days. If that's if that's not obvious to you, I just I really just don't think you're paying attention. We're in those moments that the Bible warned us about and referred to as the last days. 
meaning the days before Christ returns. I believe we're in that time. In fact, uh, I've heard that all my life growing up in church. I've heard that these are the last days, but I really believe we're in the last of the last days. I believe we're in the final seconds on that clock, on God's clock before Christ returns. And we're entering an era of Christianity that the Bible says will be marked with either boldness or coldness, that there will be a distinction in the body of Christ, that much of the body of Christ are going to be emboldened. Uh, They are going to stand up and be counted like never before. There's going to be a courage that they're going to muster to be the light in the darkness of these last moments that we're in. I believe that is happening. In fact, I see it happening, and I'm grateful for it, and I'm thankful for it. But at the same time, there is a coldness that is setting in to some within the same family of God, within the body of Christ. And these days that we're in will be marked. Your life will be marked with either boldness or coldness. Now, I want to show you that in Scripture. And I could, I could give you dozens of passages for both of these concepts, boldness and coldness. But let me just give you a couple. I'll start with Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12. When he warns us about these last days, that sin will be rampant everywhere. Stop for just a moment. Can you see that? Sin will be rampant everywhere. It's all around us. It's inescapable today that that you can't see that sin is abounding all around us. Right? And Jesus said that would happen in these last days. He said sin will be rampant everywhere. And he says the love of many will grow cold. And he's talking about believers here. He's talking about people who knew the Lord, people who were serving God, and yet that love for God grew cold. He said in the last days, in these perilous times that we're in, uh, as sin is rampant everywhere, the love of many Christians will grow cold. And we see that happening. So many in Christendom today have grown cold in their experience with God. They've grown cold and indifferent toward God, toward God's word, towards God's call upon our lives. Can I get a better amen than that? I mean, it's just reality. That's truth. We see that happening all around us. And then I'll turn your attention to the book of Daniel. And Daniel is prophesying here from an Old Testament context about these last days that we're in. And particularly, he's talking about the man of sin or the Antichrist that will rise in these last hours. And here's what he says of him in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32. He says, then with smooth words, he will defile those who have rejected the covenant. Watch this. But by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Daniel says, but the people who are loyal to their God will act valiantly. They'll be bold. Daniel says there are some that are going to grow cold and indifferent towards God because of the influence of sin and the man of sin. He said, but there are others that will be valiant. There are others that will be bold. There are others that will carry out great exploits in the name of their God. Now, I don't know about you, but I want that kind of boldness. I'm trusting God and believing God for that kind of boldness. I want our church to be marked by boldness, not coldness. Are y'all with me? And I long for it so much. I want you to see that this boldness that Daniel predicted 
actually comes from the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that God has reserved for these last days that we're in. And, and I hope you understand, and, and I think many of us are really unaware, but I hope you understand that the move of the Holy Spirit that we've witnessed for the last 100 years is a relatively new thing. There were centuries when we did not see the kind of outpouring of the Spirit that we've witnessed over the last century. But in this time that we occupy, thank God the Spirit of the Lord is being poured out. God is pouring out His Spirit all over the world in such incredible ways. And, and I want you to see that this boldness that Daniel said is going to be in much of the church in this last hour, that it is going to be connected to this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you for a, a couple of minutes here about Pentecostalism. And I don't want that term to make you nervous. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of Pentecostals or Pentecostalism. For many of us who've been connected with them in some way, anytime we hear the term Pentecostals or Pentecostalism, we think of people that dress different than everybody else. We think of women who never cut their hair, never wear makeup, only wear dresses, refuse to wear pants. And that has been, in the last century, a part of Pentecostalism to an extreme. Now, within any move of God, you can have people that just don't buy in at all. You can have people that buy in in extreme ways. And then you can have people kind of in the middle of those two things that are right in the sweet spot where God wants them to be. And so as it relates to the holiness message that has always accompanied Pentecostalism and should accompany Pentecostalism, after all, look at me, we are to be a holy people. God is a holy God, and he wants us to be a holy people. I don't think that we have to take an extreme where we look completely different from everybody else, but I don't think we ought to look like everybody else either. I think right in the middle, we can find a form of holiness that pleases God and yet isn't maybe a form of extremism. Are you okay with that, that, that idea? Along with that idea that comes to mind when we think of Pentecostals or Pentecostalism, we think of lively services where people are filled with the Spirit and there are manifestations of that that accompany um, that, that outpouring of the Spirit. We believe and teach that when someone's baptized in the Holy Spirit, the initial, meaning the first Physical evidence that one has been filled with the Holy Spirit is an ability to speak in unknown tongues. And let me just real quickly address that. This isn't a teaching on that. We've done teaching. We'll do teaching on that. But when we talk about unknown tongues, we're talking about heavenly tongues. We're talking about being able to communicate with God in a divine way where we're speaking not a language known to men, but known only to God. And that in speaking in tongues, the scripture tells us, 
many places there in the New Testament that we build ourselves up to our most holy faith. And so that is an important part of Pentecost, one we subscribe to. We're all about it. We love the Pentecostal expression. I don't know about you, but I love it when God moves in such a way you can feel God moving, right? And I love to see the response to that where people get happy and they shout and they uh, get excited. All of that's good. All that's fine. I just simply want you to understand with me, that's not all Pentecostalism is. And if all we do when we think of Pentecostalism is think of holiness, which again, in and of itself, is a good thing, not a bad thing. If all we think of is the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestation of the Spirit, the emotion that comes with it all, the the, the feeling of it. If all we think about is that, we've missed the entire point. And this boldness that Daniel says will accompany the people of God in this last hour that we're in, I believe the Bible teaches is a direct fruit of, result of, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The real manifestation of the Spirit-filled life is a boldness that stands up when everybody else is bowing down. The real evidence that you've been filled with the Holy Ghost is a boldness that propels you to live out loud and on purpose to the glory of God. Not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because you know it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. In Acts chapter 2 verse 17, Peter on the day of Pentecost, that's why we refer to this as Pentecost or Pentecostalism. Uh, Peter repeats a prophecy that was given by Joel there in the Old Testament. In Acts chapter 2, verse 17, he says, In the last days, God says, I will pour my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. I I feel like it's really necessary to just kind of unpack some of these terms that we throw around a lot. I want to make sure everyone understands them. What does it mean to prophesy? Really, the heart of prophecy is just proclaiming. Many times prophecy will have a futuristic tense to it, something God's going to do. So we're proclaiming something God's going to do, but not always. To prophesy simply means to proclaim. Sometimes it's just standing up and proclaiming who God is, proclaiming what God has said, proclaiming what God does or God's going to do. And so prophecy is the proclamation, the bold proclamation we make on behalf of God. And, and, and Joel prophesied, Peter repeated it on the day of Pentecost, that in these last hours, in these last days, God would raise up sons and daughters among the people of the last days who would have a prophetic voice. They would have the courage and the boldness to prophesy and proclaim the word of the Lord. That's what he said would happen in these last days. Jesus had promised in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Notice, Jesus didn't say you'll receive power if the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll live holy. He didn't say you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you'll speak in tongues. Listen, those are biblical practices. They're part of it. But the real aim of the outpouring of the Spirit Jesus promised was me and you being witnesses, being a prophetic voice to those around us, to proclaiming Christ and Him crucified, 
Letting people know that Jesus is alive and that that he saves. Letting people know that God's got a plan for their life. Knowing that if God can save me, he can save you. Next door neighbor, co-worker, come on y'all. Letting people know that is the reason he has poured out the Holy Spirit. So, so, so I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me with your heart today. The evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't just speaking in tongues. The evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is boldly proclaiming our faith. And if you are not boldly proclaiming your faith, you are not spirit-filled. You may think you're spirit-filled, you may claim to be spirit-filled, you may speak in tongues, you may live a holy life, and I hope you do, but the real evidence of the spirit-filled life is me and you being a bold witness in the dark hour that we're living in, living out loud and on purpose, this light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, letting people know who God is, is the real evidence that we've been filled with the Spirit. And so I I just wanna wanna call on you to join me in calling on God that we'd be filled with the Spirit today. That we would, as a church, as individuals, as families, that we'd be filled with the Holy Spirit to the point where we can be bold at our jobs, bold in our neighborhoods, bold with those that we interact with as we tell people the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm believing God for that kind of outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Listen, I wanna see people speak in tongues. I wanna see people live holy, but I wanna see people be the witness that God's called them to be. Come on, y'all. It's in these last hours... It's boldness or coldness. And the evidence of the Spirit of God being in our life is that boldness that God wants to infuse in all of us today. Now, let let me make this point, and I want you to see this with me. Coldness causes us to blend in. Boldness causes us to stand out. In these last days, you'll be marked by either coldness or boldness. Coldness will cause you to blend in and boldness will cause you to stand out. We're in a moment of time when the church can no longer blend in. We have got to stand out. If you stand for nothing, you're going to fall for it every time. And that's what we do. We fall for the nothingness this world is handing out to us. We've got to stand having done all to stand. We gotta stand out. That's what boldness does. Listen to Romans chapter 12, verse two. It may be the most quoted verse that Crossroads Church ever points to. We regularly, regularly, regularly point to this passage. But man, it speaks so clearly to us in this hour that we're in. Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behavior and the custom of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. What's Paul saying here by inspiration? Don't copy the behavior and custom of this world. Don't blend in. Don't let a coldness and indifference towards God and what he thinks of you allow you to just blend in with everybody else, look like everybody else, talk like everybody else, act like everybody else. No, no, no. He says, don't do that. He says, but be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind or the changing of of the way you think. Then, somebody say then. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Can I just say this? For far too long, Christians have attempted to be incognito. 
Just blend in so nobody notices. Blend in so we're accepted. Blend in so we're patted on the back and we're included in whatever it is the world's doing. For far too long, we've attempted to be incognito. We try not to make waves. Can I just say, the result is a form of Christianity that's really no different than the world around us. There's no distinction at all, no difference between us and the world around us. It is time we commit ourselves to the full formula. Jeff, what's that? I'm so glad you asked. I was hoping you would, because I got an answer for you. Here's the full formula. The full formula is found in James chapter four, verse seven, where James is inspired to write these words. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If, if there's a message for the church in the hour that we're in, it's this one. Submit yourself to God. In these last moments of, of time that we're in, as darkness is invading all around us, listen, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. As long as you live incognito with this cold indifference, the enemy's just going to keep getting the upper hand. He's going to just keep establishing his stronghold, his foothold. But the minute we submit to God, the minute we resist our enemy, the Bible said he will flee from us. Don and I, years ago, were in Jamaica. And from the minute we stepped off the plane, they were handing us everything you can imagine. Alcohol. They were trying to get us to take alcohol from them. And the drugs at that time that was in Jamaica, I haven't been in a long time, so I don't know. But I mean, every corner you turn, there was somebody there offering you this or offering you that. And you know, at first we were just like, no, thank you. We're not interested. And just try to kind of walk away and not make eye contact. After a while, I mean, it was just hour after hour after hour of this every day. After a while, we just got sick of it. And we said, uh-uh. The next guy that walks up offering us drugs, we, I just threw up my hands. I said, we're not interested in your drugs. We're full of the most high. We don't need to get high. And I'm telling you, drug dealers started scurrying. You know what we did, Matt? We submitted to God. We resisted the devil. And boy, did he flee. I mean, they were, they were staying clear of us. Would to God the 21st century church would just stand up to the world and say, we're not interested in what you have. We're full of the most high. And watch the enemy flee, y'all. Watch him flee. This is what boldness does. Listen, here's another point that I hope you get. A bold faith provides a daily reminder that this world is not our home. I think we've gotten too comfortable here. And I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. I'm not telling you God doesn't want you to enjoy your life. I believe he absolutely wants you to enjoy your life, your family, your spiritual family. There are great things that we can engage in and enjoy that are not sinful at all. I'm not telling you we can't have a good time while we're here. I am telling you this ain't home, y'all. This world is not our home. And we're way too comfortable here. And as we... Live out a bold faith, it's going to provide us a daily reminder that this world's not our home. Here's the cool thing about it. It provides a daily witness to those around us, but it also provides us a witness, a reminder. This world is not our home. I love how Peter writes in his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. 
He said, so you must live in reverent fear of him, the Lord, during your time here as temporary residents. Did y'all know that's who you are? You're temporary residents. Don and I right now are temporary residents at the apartments right over here at Corette Farms. We're temporary residents. We will not live there forever. <laughs> as we exist there as temporary residents, we're having a good time. We're enjoying ourselves. But we've got a home being built for us. That we're going to one day move out of those apartments into that new home. By the way, our home this week got walls and rafters. It's so fun watching it go up. We're so excited about our new place. And we're enjoying the apartments at Career Farms. But one day we're going to leave there and we're going to move into our permanent residence. And on spiritual terms, you need to see this is not your home. You're here for a time, but one day you're going to a place where God's prepared a home for you. That where he is, you may be also, right? And that's your permanent residence, your eternal residence. Anybody thankful for the promise of heaven? Say, I am. So this bold faith reminds us daily, we're just temporary residents. Um, the term evangelicals, like Pentecostalism, is thrown around, and I think we don't even know what it is a lot of times. In fact, the term evangelicals has kind of been hijacked by political parties now. And now all of a sudden, evangelicals are a block of voters that you know, stand for life, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and don't want third graders to be taught about bizarre sexual acts. All of a sudden, the political world has labeled that block of voters as evangelicals. But I need you to know that the term evangelical isn't about just a, a voting constituency. It's about people who know their place in the world and share the gospel with everyone they can. That's what an evangelical really is. He's an evangelist. He's someone who evangelizes or someone who preaches, someone who shares the good news, someone who talks to people, other people about the Lord. That's what a true evangelical is, and that's who we all are called to be. Not just someone who operates in the office of an evangelist, but people who do evangelism. Every one of us are supposed to preach the good news. Every one of us are supposed to boldly proclaim who Christ is to a fallen world around us. You believe that? Say, I do. So that's what evangelicalism really is all about. And, and I just want you to know, as a church, we are committed to raising up bold evangelicals full of the Holy Spirit. So look, I, I, um, I turned 60 this last year. So I, I, I don't know. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, my brother's in the club right there. Um, so I turned 60 this year. So, you know, I don't, I don't know how much further I've got, you know, how much time I have left to lead. And here's one thing I will tell you. The remaining time that I have to lead is going to be spent raising up bold evangelicals full of the Holy Spirit. This church, listen to me, this church, for as much time as I have left at the helm of this ship, I promise you, it's going to be steered towards bold Pentecostal evangelicalism. Now, I, I just need you to know that. I just want you to understand that. That's who we're called to be. That's who we're going to be. And in Acts chapter 4, and I read this to you last week, 
In, in verse 31, the Bible describes what happened. After people had been beaten and they had been threatened and they had been told never to preach in the name of Jesus anymore, this is what happened. They went back to the church, they went back to fellow believers, and they lifted up their voices in prayer, and their prayer was that God would make them more bold. And I want you to see what happens. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Do you see what happened when they were filled with the Holy Spirit? They spoke the word of God boldly. And I'm believing God to shake this place. With an infilling of the Spirit of God in every one of our lives to the degree that we speak the word of God boldly. I found a business book a few years back. I can't even remember the author's name now. But the book is called The Four Disciplines of Execution. And if you're a business person... Uh, if you manage a business or own a business, I encourage you to read it. It's a very insightful book. It's a, a bestseller. But we took the principles, and I was so convinced of them, we applied them to, to our business, which is kingdom business. And uh, what the 4DX book basically tells you is, number one, you need wildly important goals. They call it a wig. You need wildly important goals. You, you can, if you try to do everything, you're not going to do anything well. So you need to focus on one thing or a few things that you put all of your energy into. One wildly important goal, one wig. And then once you've done that, you need to use lead measures to achieve it, not lag measures. So lag measures is, is kind of the result of what you're doing, not what you're doing itself. So for instance, you know, there'll probably be, I don't know, uh, 1,500 people or so here today, 1,600 people here today, and, um, and that's a lag measure. We can count that. That counts. We, we want to know about that. But what's important is what did we do to get that 15 or 1,600 people here, right? What were the lead measures? So you get a wildly important goal, you get lead measures that you take to get your results, and then you, uh, you all own it, you, you, you keep a scoreboard, you, you, you hold yourself accountable to the goals that you've made, and, uh, and you have a, what they call a cadence of accountability, where you regular answer for your part in the overall goal. So I, I want to close today by telling you what our goal is. We just pulled this book out again a few weeks ago, and I said, hey, we need a new wig. And I want to tell you what our wig is. Now, we haven't settled yet on the number, but I can tell you it'll be somewhere around 1,000. So here's what we want to do. In the next nine months, we want to see somewhere around 1,000 people come to Crossroads for the very first time. 1,000 newcomers that are going to come, and we're going to connect with them, and we're going to see God move in their life. And, 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 and along with our goal of getting them through the door is to get them into next steps. You hear us talk about next steps regularly. We recognize next steps as being that measure that helps them take that very next step. And so that's the goal is to see a percentage of them, of that thousand or whatever the number ends up being, to see a percentage of them go through next steps. Now, this isn't just our wig. This is your wig. This is your wildly important goal if... Crossroads is your home church. How many would say, Crossroads, this is my home church. This is my church. Raise your hand. And, and you'd say, I'm your pastor. Jeff's my pastor. This is my church. Raise your hand. Okay, so this is your wildly important goal that you will share with us that in the next nine months, we get 1,000 people through that door that have never stepped foot into this place 
so that we can introduce them to Jesus. That's what it's all about. Can I get a better amen? That's what it's all about. And so you're going to share in that goal. So what I want to do over the next few minutes is just, as I wrap this up, is I want to give you our boldness strategy. Now, here's the deal. God's hand is on our church for this. Always has been, but I don't know if you've noticed, but it's been renewed as of late. God's hand has always been on our church to reach lost people, unchurched people. Can we thank God for that? Would you help me thank God for that? His hand has always been on our church to reach lost people. Let me give you proof that there's a resurgence of that here. I mentioned it last week. I want to mention it again. In just the last four weeks, only in Sunday morning's adult service, we're not counting as much as they count. We're not counting students or children. Dozens of children and young people could be in this number. Just adults on Sunday mornings alone, the last month, over 100 people have given their heart, life to Jesus Christ. Over 100 people have made a profession of faith in Jesus in just four weeks. Listen, God's hand is on our church. You know personally scores of people that need to get saved. You know people that need to know Jesus. They need to get right with God. If they don't get right with God, they're going to spend eternity separated from God. And that's why we want you to join with us in partnership in this wildly important goal to get a 1,000 of them in the door over the next nine months. Now, here's our strategy. It starts with, number one, the infilling. And I've already kind of unpack that with you because it's the most important part. God's going to fill us with the Holy Spirit and his boldness to get people in the door, to, to reach out to people, share our faith with people, and, and bring people into the saving knowledge of Jesus. Luke chapter 11, verse 13, Jesus said, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more will the Holy Spirit be given to those who ask? And remember, when the Holy Spirit is given, that infilling results in a boldness to share our faith with others. So it starts with an infilling. Then secondly, it goes to our investing. I, I'm going to call on you to begin to invest in people like never before. Get to know your coworkers. Get to know your neighbors. Strike up a friendship with them. Invite them over. Get to know them. When you see them going through some form of struggle, be there for them. Visit them in the hospital. You know, contribute to a need that they might have. Find a way to serve them and make an investment in people. Romans 13 verse 8 said, if you love others, you've done all that the law demands. I love what Jeannie Mayo said. She said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So let's demonstrate to people around us that we really care about them by investing in their life. I read a story last week that's just astounding. It's just, it's mind-boggling. Did you know, this just happened within the last few weeks, the leader of the satanic church in South Africa has resigned his post and, and has professed faith in Jesus Christ. When they ask him, listen, this is a leader... The leader of Satanism in South Africa has renounced Satanism, professed faith in Jesus. When they asked him why, he said it was because of the unconditional love of Christians. 
So I'm, I'm calling on us to begin to invest in people, demonstrate our care, our love, our concern for people. We need an infilling, and then we need to get investing. And then number three, we need to get inviting. Once we've made an investment, it creates a platform from which we can invite them. Hey, you ought to come to my church with me sometime. I'd love for you to meet me there and uh, sit with me. Maybe we'll go to lunch after and just begin to invite people to church. Now, I'm going to make that really, really easy for you over the next nine months because we're going to have a ton of stuff you'll be able to invite people to that will be attractional to them. Now, I want, I want to, I got to take a few minutes with us. Look at me. Over the next nine months, we're not focused on what's important to us. We're focused on what's important to people who need to know the Jesus we already know. So we're going to focus on things that will be attractional to them, that will get them here. I'll give you an example like uh, the first Wednesday night of August, we're doing uh, an Inspire Night for Kids. We've got the equivalent of Bill Nye, the science guy, full of the Holy Ghost, coming to do all this science stuff, blow stuff up, all this stuff for kids. You ought to get every kid in your neighborhood, every family with a kid in your neighborhood here that night because the whole thing is all about setting up an opportunity to invite people to know Jesus amazing ministry that God's using all over the country. We're going to bring him here along with everything else. You already know about our Christmas outreach. Um, you already know about our Inspire Nights that we do. In September, we're going to do an At the Movies series that churches all over America are using, reaching thousands of people for the cause of Christ by just taking movies that are common to everybody that people have enjoyed and using them like, a, like Jesus used a parable, tell a story and then combine that with the gospel and people get saved. We'll have invites for you to give your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. Remember, this isn't for you. You might go, I don't, I don't really even like that. I don't even enjoy that. It's not about you. I'm not doing that for you. I'm doing that for the people around you every day that don't know God and won't spend eternity with you in heaven with God unless we reach them. So let's, again, get the infilling. Let's get to inviting, uh, investing and inviting. And then number four, we need to include them. So us including them is a big step in the process. What does that look like? Matthew 28, go into, go into all the world, go to all people everywhere and make them my disciples. So we're not just making converts, we're making disciples. Once you invest and you invite and they get here and they receive Christ as Savior, then we want to include them in our small group. We want to include them in our circle of friends. Maybe go to next steps with them. Attend a growth track with them. Include them in some way so that discipleship can happen. Let me tell you a story and I'll close. A little over a year ago, a man by the name of Nelton showed up at our church for the first time. He had just woke up out of a coma due to COVID. And when he woke up, he woke up with a realization, if I had died, I would not have been ready to meet God. He talked to somebody and somebody told him, go to Crossroads Church. So he showed up here on a Sunday morning and the very first day Nelton arrived, he raised his hand, prayed the prayer, he accepted Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior. Nelton immediately started going to next steps. He said, I don't know anything about this, so I'm just going to do what they tell me to do. Wow. 
What a concept. And he went through next steps. Because he went through next steps, he joined the church. He got baptized. He got on a team and started serving. He got in a small group and started growing. My small group was the one he happened to join. I, I, I do a small group called Foundations that focuses on spiritual disciplines like prayer and Bible reading. And the first night that he showed up, he sat in our circle and he told us, I don't know anything about the Bible. He literally asked, what's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? He had no idea. We talked to him. We gave him some instruction. We started discipling him. All of a sudden, I started getting texts from Nelton almost every day telling me, here's what God showed me in the Bible today. He started growing by leaps and bounds. All of a sudden, he started bringing people to church with him, and they started getting saved. A few weeks ago, Nelton was walking through a Walmart parking lot. He got hit by a car. When he fell, his head hit the pavement. and Within hours, he was in heaven. Here's what I want you to know. Nelton was born with that day already assigned. It is appointed unto every man once to die and after that the judgment. That's what the Bible says, y'all. God knows the day you're going to meet him. In his mercy, it wasn't those days in that coma. God let him get through that and let him get here and let him get introduced to Christ and let him get ready. So that on the day he met God, he was ready to meet God in eternity. Look at me. That's our wig. That's our wildly important goal. That's what boldness is about. It's about reaching the Neltons of your world because they're all around you. Hey, everyone, this is Pastor Jeff Abels, and I just wanted to take a minute to thank you for joining us on our podcast today. Maybe the Holy Spirit has been dealing with your heart as you've listened to this message and you feel like you just need to get right with God. If you have no real assurance that you are right with God, if you cannot honestly say you've been living for God and you know that needs to change, I wanna invite you to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior right now. You know, the Bible tells us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means God loves you and God's ready to save you. He's just waiting on you to call on Him. will not you call on Him right now by praying a very simple prayer with me. I want you to repeat the words of this prayer after me. Let those words come right from your heart. Let's pray. Dear God, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. I know my sin separates me from God and I don't want that I believe in Jesus I believe he died for me I believe he rose again through faith in Jesus I believe my life can change so I ask you Jesus come into my heart forgive all my sin and change my life be Lord of my life from this day forward. I don't live for me anymore or this world. God, I want to live for you. Help me to do that. And I thank you right now, even as I pray 
According to your promise, my sin is all forgiven. I'm now right with God. I am saved. Thank you, God, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you just prayed that prayer with me, we would really love to know about it. We'd love to give you some next steps to get you started on your brand new journey of faith. What I'd love for you to do is just text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 337-222-3210. And someone will connect with you to provide you with some resources that I think will help you greatly. Again, just text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 337-222-3210. Thanks again for joining us on the podcast today and God richly bless you is our prayer for you.